Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 46 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is the penultimate case of Season 5. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. Love, betrayal, jealousy and greed are themes that are as old as time. These emotions can dominate someone's thoughts and lead them to murder. But if they take a life, they seldom get away with it. So focused on the spoils of their ill-gotten gains, they think scarcely about the person that is gone, or how the death will negatively impact the lives of the victim's loved ones. However, after their arrest, 
the murderer will have decades to think about what they have done in their prison cell. Never seeing the financial or romantic gains they set out to attain. In 2012, 23-year-old Catherine Wells Burr had so much to look forward to. She had worked hard to get a first-class honours degree in business administration. A year earlier in 2011, she joined Pneumatic International as a graduate trainee working at their manufacturing facility in the Somerset town of Chard. Pneumatic is best known for making the iconic Henry the Hoover vacuum cleaner. Catherine was no stranger to the company. She had worked on the production line to make some money between terms while studying at Bath Spa University. The manufacturing facility was the place where her younger sister, 21-year-old Leanne, was also employed, along with their parents, Jane and Philip. It was while working on the production line in 2010 where Catherine met a fellow worker, Raphael Novak. Raphael was eight years older than Catherine and was already in a relationship. However, this did not deter him. The opportunity of a romance with Catherine eventually led to him leaving the flat on South Street in the town of Taunton that he shared with his then-partner, Anna Lagvinovich. Raphael Novak was married in 2000, although he came to England after the union fell apart. When he left Poland, Novak abandoned a teenage son from that relationship. He also left behind a debt of £6,500, which he thought he could clear faster by finding work in the UK. Novak settled down with Anna Lagvinovich, who was the same age, but it was not long before he met Catherine Wellsburr when the pair started working together. Although Novak moved out of the flat he had shared with Lagvinovich, he had not cut ties with her completely. He was still seeing her behind Catherine's back, two-timing the women just as he had done when he first met Catherine. When she became aware of the situation, Anna Lagvinovich was not happy. She made attempts to shrewdly let Catherine know she was still in Novak's life, and more calculatingly, Lagvinovich tried to orchestrate confrontations for the new couple, hoping they would split up and she would be back in Novak's arms without another woman in the picture. Lagvinovich secretly planted items in the home that Catherine and Novak shared to give the impression Catherine was having an affair. The day of Catherine's graduation, a day she had worked incredibly hard for, a 23-year-old received a text message. 
The communication was not to congratulate the graduate on her achievement. It was from her partner's ex-lover. Anna Lagvinovich told Catherine Novak was currently in her bed. A spiteful act intended to hurt Catherine enough to end the relationship. To some extent, Lagvinovich was successful. Catherine and Rafael Novak did split up, but it was only temporary. Novak wanted Catherine to take him back. Despite the evidence that he was not only at the home of Anna Lagvinovich but in her bed, Novak told Catherine he was lured to his ex-partner's home and then he was drugged. Regardless of whether Catherine believed his explanation or not, she took him back. It was after this event, and when Catherine had settled into her new role as a business analyst at Pneumatic International, that her parents Jane and Philip helped the couple with a deposit for their first home, a brand new terrace property on Willow Way in Chard. Both Catherine Wellsburr and Raphael Novak were named on the mortgage, and a life insurance policy was put in place to make sure the mortgage on the house, worth £123,000, would be covered if the worst unexpectedly happened to either of them. They seemed happy. It was obvious Catherine loved Raphael Novak. The pair were making plans and wanted to travel abroad. Novak spoke about the idea of going on holiday to America, but after they submitted their travel paperwork, Novak was told he was not permitted to enter the country due to a past conviction in Poland. Nonetheless, it appeared to the outside world that the young couple were planning for their future in their new home. It would later be revealed Catherine Wellsburr and Raphael Novak's home life was not as it seemed. Catherine loved her partner and wanted the relationship to work. But not only was Novak cheating on Catherine, but he was also planning something far worse. September 12, 2012. Catherine's mobile phone received a text message at precisely 5.17am. A meeting with an unknown man was supposedly organised. It was suggested if she wanted to see him, Catherine should travel the seven miles to a countryside beauty spot at Ash Hill. A red Ford Focus was to park in a quiet lane by the main road, between Taunton and Chard. Catherine's car did make the journey, and Catherine was in the vehicle. But it would later be discovered someone else was sitting in the driver's seat, 
taking the Ford Focus and Catherine to the prearranged destination. She was then moved from the passenger seat to the driver's side to give the impression she was alone and had driven herself there. By the time the fire crew got to the scene, the Ford Focus was so badly burned it was almost unrecognisable, as was Catherine's body which had been callously disposed of inside. Catherine Wells-Burr had not turned up for work that day and did not call in to explain her absence. Both Catherine's family and her boyfriend, Raphael Novak, left their place of employment and went back to the home on Willow Way to see if she was okay. Her car was gone and Catherine was not home. Her mother Jane called the police straight away. After a couple of minutes as they waited for the police, Raphael Novak said to Catherine's mother, I've lost my world. I've lost my future. I begged her not to go. When the Wellsburg family were told about Catherine's death, They were crushed at the loss. Even so, her parents and sister still offered support to Catherine's partner, whom they treated as a member of the family. They said he was like a son. As they understood it, the man who shared a home with Catherine was grieving her loss as much as they were. However, this did not stop him from making a number of strange comments. He told Leanne, Catherine's younger sibling, don't worry, she'll be back. As he continued to ramble, he told Jane, Catherine's mother, that her daughter had contemplated suicide and that a man, an ex of Catherine's, had been harassing her, sending messages to her mobile phone. The text messages were said to have mentioned something to the effect of If I can't have you, nobody can. Obviously, both statements stuck with Jane because she had not heard anything from Catherine about wanting to take her own life or heard about a jealous ex-boyfriend. Raphael Novak spent the night in the company of the reeling Wellsburg family after Catherine's body was found. He had been immediately questioned by police, but was then free to go. Jane had her suspicions something was not right, and so checked with officers working the case. She later told reporter Jack Royston, When police released him, I kept asking them, Are you sure he is just a witness? They said yes. Raphael Novak had a cast iron alibi. He had clocked into work at Pneumatic International 20 minutes before the blaze was started. 
He was a considerable distance away from the ferocious fire that was set after the Ford had been doused with petrol. Catherine's parents had welcomed Raphael Novak into their home as they always had done, not realising one of the culprits responsible for Catherine's murder was under their roof. Novak and Anna Lagvinovich had only paused their affair after Catherine received a text message on her graduation day telling her of her partner's infidelity. Within a couple of weeks, the illicit relationship had started up again. The connection was intense. There were numerous phone calls and they would see each other at least twice a day. Several days before her death, in a supermarket, Catherine Wellsburr and Novak had been filmed by CCTV cameras. They held hands while walking down the aisles with a basket, choosing food that unknown to Catherine, she would not be around to eat. When questioned by police, Novak claimed Catherine's mystery lover must have been the person that killed her. But there was no trace of this stranger, and even a trail of Catherine's supposed online interactions led nowhere. Dating profiles had been set up under Catherine's name using her photographs, along with further accounts on websites used by people who were seeking casual sex. But these profiles had not been created and posted by Catherine. It appeared as though someone else had taken a great deal of time and care to do it. It was not hard to work out who once the electronic evidence was later pieced together by the police. The person responsible was jealous lover Anna Lagvinovich. It was soon established Catherine's unfaithful partner Rafael Novak knew all about what Lagvinovich was up to. He even had a hand in what she was doing, encouraging her behaviour. Anna Lagvinovich went above and beyond to harass Catherine Wells Burr. Her actions were venomous and insidious. Unbeknownst to Catherine, her partner was filming what she was doing, spying on her in her own home, and relaying the footage to his lover, Lagvinovich. It is unknown why he felt the need to do this, or how exactly this benefited their plan, but it would give Anna Lagvinovich a ringside seat to the agitation she was causing. As Lagvinovich had set up the profiles on local dating sites under Catherine's name, she would then watch as Catherine began to receive numerous messages from men wanting to meet up for sex. Lagvinovich also created email accounts and sent abusive or obscene emails to Novak's unsuspecting partner. If this was not enough, Catherine's face was crudely doctored onto pornographic images and shared on the internet. 
It seemed like Novak and Lagvinovich had gone way beyond their initial plan of setting up a profile on a dating site and fabricating a romantic life outside of Catherine Wellsburr's relationship with Novak. Lagvinovich was relishing the distress she caused her love rival as Catherine received endless obscene unsolicited emails and text messages from random men responding to the fake profiles that had been set up. However, all the harassment and lies began to unravel when the police started to probe the lives of Novak and Lagvinovich. It was believed the plot to murder Catherine Wellsburr was initiated in early summer, possibly July 2012, giving them months to plan ahead. Discovered in a bin at Anna Lagvinovich's flat were notes she had written that mentioned a mystery man. It was like she was brainstorming a plan. That would not be enough to implicate her in a murder plot, but a vital piece of evidence, a SIM card found in her car underneath an ashtray, just might be. It was the piece of the puzzle detectives had been looking for. After the SIM card was analysed, it corresponded to a number that had text Catherine's mobile phone in those early morning hours of September 12th, suggesting she meet with an unidentified individual on the day she was murdered. Rafael Novak had initially told detectives that he had no clue, absolutely no idea that Catherine Wellsburr had a life insurance policy. But further evidence proved the secret lovers went to Taunton, the next town over from Chard, to visit a solicitor. Novak and Anna Lagvinovich feared that if they sought advice locally, Catherine or her parents could find out Lagvinovich and Novak were inquiring about Novak's legal rights to his partner's estate. Investigators also discovered that he had called the company she held the policy with. The Avon and Somerset Constabulary now had some suspects, but they still needed to piece together what exactly happened. Despite the body of Catherine Wellsburr being burned in her car, Forensic scientists managed to establish what Catherine was wearing the night she died. It was said she was on her way to meet her secret lover in the early morning hours. Although Catherine was wearing a pair of shorts, something she often wore when she went to bed, it seemed like an impractical outfit if she was meeting someone outside. After her death on the washing line at her home, hung a solitary pillowcase that matched the bed set in the house. It looked as if it had been taken from Catherine's side of the bed, but the pillow itself was nowhere to be found. Combining all of the circumstantial evidence, officers came to the conclusion that Catherine Wellsburr had been smothered to death in her bed before her body was lifted to her car by her killer 
or careless. Analysis was undertaken on the movements and communication between the suspects, Rafael Novak and Anna Lagvinovich. They had met in person at least 87 times in the run-up to the killing. Prepaid SIM cards were used as a way to communicate when they were not together. A solid piece of evidence was the SIM card found in the car that belonged to Anna Lagvinovich. While on its own, this piece of evidence did not prove she committed murder. It certainly raised questions. It did, however, demonstrate that she was using different SIM cards to conduct her affair with Novak throughout the period in which she was tormenting Catherine. As detectives conducted background checks, their inquiries led them abroad, where Novak used to live in Poland. Officers unearthed that Novak had been convicted of assaulting his then-wife. Also, he was desperate to pay back the £6,500 which he owed in Poland, but his wage in the factory made repaying the debt a slow process. Plus, Novak was named on 50% of the house he and Catherine purchased, which meant he paid half the cost. Following their arrests, the police allowed Novak and Lagvinovich to meet. However, neither were aware they were being secretly recorded. The pair said they loved each other, but that loyalty soon evaporated when they both realised the sheer scale of the evidence the police had accumulated. They knew it did not look good for either of them. After mulling it over, Novak and Lagvinovich began to slowly point the finger at someone else. They both claimed that the other had employed the services of a third person to murder Catherine, a hitman. At least this element of their claim seemed to be vaguely accurate. There was another person involved. To Dewish Dimitrishan. He was Anna Lagvinovich's uncle. At 38, he was close in age to his niece. They were six years apart, although they were described as more like siblings than an uncle and niece. Tadouish Dimitrishan also lived in Taunton and had accessed one of the faux dating profiles set up by Anna Lagvinovich. He masqueraded as Catherine Wellsburr the night before she was killed. By September 15th, three days after Catherine's body was found, the three suspects were charged with murder. What is slightly different about this particular case is the degree to which they planned the murder and also to disguise who was responsible, not just to distance themselves from it, to make it look like somebody else was actually responsible. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to the rise and fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. The overly dramatic, falsified backstory of a mystery lover and leaving evidence lying around like the pillowcase on the washing line and the mobile phone SIM card in the car. It was simply a matter of time before the trio's plan was going to be uncovered. Piecing everything together, it seemed logical all three were either present, or Anna Lagvinovich and her uncle Tadeusz Dimitrishin arrived after Rafael Novak ended Catherine's life. The next step needed all three of them to play their part. While Novak went to work in an effort to distance himself from the scene, Lagvinovich and Dimitrishin each drove a car. Catherine's Ford with her body inside, and a second car used to flee from the scene after they had started the fire. The blaze was ignited around 6am. Novak had already clocked into work at precisely 5.39am. 
The other two suspects then went home. A short time later, Anna Lagvinovich left her flat. She was captured on CCTV in her car, travelling almost 12 miles out of her way to Bridgewater to conceal several items in recycling bins. It was believed this was evidence, although the contents of the bags were never identified. Behind bars and with the trial fast approaching, Anna Lagvinovich was desperate to exonerate both herself and her uncle. A 21-year-old fellow inmate, Anne Joyce, was given a handwritten letter from Anna Lagvinovich and asked to smuggle it out of prison. In what appeared to be a confession letter, Lagvinovich wrote that, quote, Novak was very pleased that he had killed Catherine. The correspondence described what Lagvinovich claimed happened to Catherine that morning. Lagvinovich made it clear she was under the instruction of Novak and made efforts to distance herself further. I helped him to sit her in the driver's seat. Novak ripped off the tape from her mouth and put some shoes on her. He put a seatbelt around her and kissed her goodbye. At 6am I drove up to Catherine's car and as instructed by Novak, I set it alight. The trial started in April 2013 at Bristol Crown Court. On the first day, the three defendants walked into the courtroom separated by security guards. All three denied murder. As the prosecution presented its case, the jury were told Lagvinovich and Novak had tried to cover their tracks, but they were unsuccessful. It was divulged that they had not only met in person nearly 100 times, but they'd used public computers at a library as well as the prepaid SIM card to communicate with one another. Anna Lagvinovich was proven to have purchased the SIM card used to interact with Novak, along with a second card that was employed so Lagvinovich could pose as Catherine's lover in a fictional secret affair. The latter SIM card was found in her car. Initially, the trio intended to commit the murder two days earlier on September 10th. The plan was in place and the wheels in motion, but something unexpected happened. Catherine was woken up in the middle of the night by a phone call. By chance, the person who rang had dialed a number incorrectly. It temporarily put them off carrying out their horrific plan. Sadly, however, it did not stop them from continuing their scheme and picking up where they left off. It was thought Catherine was likely to have been killed in her own home, in her own bed with her own pillow, betrayed by the person she loved, Raphael Novak. 
Catherine's cause of death could not be confirmed. It was only theorised due to the damage to her body in the fire. A fracture was found to her skull, and that was considered at first to be the cause of death. Although it was thought the injury could have been inflicted when moving Catherine's body from her bed upstairs to the car outside, investigators came to the conclusion the heavy blow was a deliberate injury. It was speculated this was carried out to convince the authorities that the fictional mystery man that Catherine had supposedly met in the isolated beauty spot was responsible. After the murder, Catherine's body was carried to her car and transported to Ashill, with a second car following close behind. The text messages to her fictitious lover arranging an early morning rendezvous were then sent. Determined to create a cast-iron alibi, Rafael Novak left the house to clock into work not long before his cohort set fire to Catherine's car with her sitting in the driver's seat. Lagvinovich and Dimitrishin used fuel to accelerate the fire. Petrol was found to be the highly flammable substance poured inside the car. The uncle and niece had purchased the petrol several days before the murder. They did not stick around to observe the outcome or wait for the fire to be discovered. They knew it would not be long before the towering flames and smoke were seen and reported by someone. Lagvinovich and Dimitrishin hastily fled the scene and returned to their daily routines so as to not arouse suspicion. Jurors at Bristol Crown Court heard how Catherine Wells Burr was killed so Raphael Novak could receive a life insurance payout totaling £123,000. He was the sole beneficiary. The jury were also told how the affair had continued between Novak and his former partner, even though Catherine was unaware and had purchased a property with him. It was their greed that propelled them to plan Catherine's murder. The court was played an argument Novak had secretly filmed with Catherine back in late June 2012. Richard Smith, QC, prosecuting, said of the clip, Why he taped it? Maybe we will have to consider in the fullness of time. A web of lies was intricately constructed to make the victim, Catherine Wells Burr, appear unfaithful and convinced the authorities that she had fallen foul of a lover, not of her, quote, doting boyfriend. When he took the stand, through tears, Raphael Novak told the court that he was not involved with Catherine's murder. She was his true love. He was cross-examined by Prosecutor Richard Smith, QC, about the possibility his co-defendant and lover was responsible. Novak said, 
All the evidence is showing that Anna had something to do with it. But I cannot say it was definitely her. The improbability in his statement that Lagvinovich was solely responsible was pointed out to Novak by the prosecutor. She would have had to have got into the house, killed Catherine, got her out of the house, put her in the car and started to drive in less than ten minutes. And if she was taking the body out of the front door, she would have done so at the time your neighbours were outside. Raphael Novak's response implied that it was more likely the culprit left via the back door. Richard Smith QC questioned this, as the back door was locked. Who knew where the patio keys were? Me and Catherine, the defendant replied. Then how did this person unlock the back door? It's rubbish to suggest they went out the back door if you weren't involved. In response, insisting that he was not involved and suggesting that Catherine's killer or killers must have searched the property, found a set of house keys and locked up, Novak said, I don't know. They could have looked everywhere. It's a small house. Later during the cross-examination, Novak broke down and began to cry. However, this did not deter Richard Smith QC with his questioning, asking why Novak was upset. The defendant replied, Because you are saying I killed Catherine, but I didn't. Everybody blames me for something I never done. Are the tears for yourself or Catherine? Smith asked. For Catherine, for me, for everyone. Recounting the statement which Novak made to Catherine's mother just minutes after they reported her missing, Novak told her, I've lost my world and I've lost my future. He then said, I begged her not to go. Prosecutor Richard Smith QC pointed out this was a very odd comment to make, considering the situation was new and unknown. No one at that point was aware that Catherine had been murdered. During the proceedings, this conversation was addressed by Peter Blair QC, who was defending Raphael Novak. The barrister implied that Catherine's mother, Jane Wells Burr, could have misheard or misinterpreted the conversation, as he recounted to the court that the witness had to refer back to her police statements to recall the exact words Novak used. It was alleged that Novak said, I begged her not to go, but his barrister claimed he said something else entirely. Peter Blair QC remarked, Can I suggest he said, I told Catherine to go to the police about the messages. Jane Wellsburr firmly retorted from the witness box, No, that's not what he said. In his closing arguments, Peter Blair QC summarised to the court 
what he thought could have taken place on that dreadful morning of September 12th. Quote, The evidence points to Rafael Novak being caught up as a victim in circumstances which at first caused serious concern. He is not a man who has tried to have his cake and eat it. Because notwithstanding this wonderful relationship, he was tempted by the wiles of Anna Langvinovich. She was the leader, the schemer, the orchestrator, the manipulator. We say he was caught up in something. He had no idea what was to happen to Catherine. He can hardly believe it now because it is so appalling. Catherine Wellsburr was alive when Mr. Novak set off for work that morning of September 12th. And I ask you, members of the jury, to find him not guilty. After Mrs. Justice Sharp's closing remarks, the jury of six men and six women took 12 hours and 30 minutes to return the verdicts. All three of the defendants would face the same outcome. They were found guilty of the murder of Catherine Wells Burr. In court today, Catherine's family were sitting in the public gallery and as the jury returns their verdict of guilty on all three of the people who were in the dock, there were gasps of yes. Members of her family were wiping away tears. Following the verdicts, the court reconvened. Mrs Justice Sharp asked the three defendants to stand. Then she directly addressed them in the dock. She said, This was a dreadful, pitiless crime, committed in cold blood in grotesque breach of trust, in which each of you played your full part. You murdered a fine young woman with everything to live for, for money. It involved a significant degree of planning, the destruction of her body which was charred beyond recognition, and an attempt to destroy her reputation after her death. The judge focused on the coldness of Raphael Novak as the CCTV footage pictured him and Catherine Wells Burr as they walked hand in hand all while he was planning her murder. Without context, they looked like another couple buying groceries. Mrs Justice Sharp said the images were utterly chilling, telling Novak, You are unscrupulous, cold-hearted and ruthless. Your only emotion has been for yourself. the judge turned her attention to Anna Lagvinovich. She acknowledged that Lagvinovich had a number of health issues, although Mrs Justice Sharp could in no way see how this might be a mitigating factor in the sentence that was about to be handed down. Your conduct has been deceitful, manipulative and cruel, the judge said. You played your full part in this wicked crime. 
Tadouish Dimitrishin was the last of the defendants Mrs. Justice Sharp addressed before announcing the sentences. Dimitrishin was labelled a willing recruit, who knew full well that the plan involved murder, and he played his part without hesitation. The judge firmly remarked, I reject the submission made on your behalf that the sentence which must be passed on those who commit murder for gain should not apply to you. Although neither Anna Lagvinovich nor Tadouish Dimitrishin had a criminal record, Mrs Justice Sharp felt that due to the seriousness of the crime, this did not carry any weight in regards to mitigation. For the crime of murder... Novak, Lagvinovich and Dimitrishin were all facing a life sentence. Mrs Justice Sharp then told them how long they would have to serve behind bars before they could apply for parole. She stated, In considering what that period should be, the starting point for each of you is that this was a murder in the expectation of gain. There was, in addition, significant aggravation and no mitigation. In the circumstances, I am not persuaded there is any reason to distinguish between you. All three, Rafael Novak, his lover Anna Lagvinovich and her uncle Tadouish Dimitrishin, were all to serve a minimum of 32 years in prison before they could see the outside world. After sentencing, the judge asked that statements from Catherine's mother and sister be read to the court. Leanne Wellsburg wrote about how difficult it would be to move on after the death of her sister. She was so special to mum, dad and me. To think we have to try to carry on living without her is so hard. Catherine did nothing but love him. Catherine's mother described her daughter as a considerate, loving, sincere, generous, loyal, caring, exceptional and amazing girl. Jane Wellsburg reflected on the loss and spoke of being denied one final opportunity to talk with her daughter. I didn't get the chance to say goodbye or to tell her I loved her, or for Catherine to say, I love you, mummy. When she spoke about Novak outside the court, Catherine's mother went on to say, We treated him like a son and a family member. These evil people have made us question our judgment of character and trust in people. We trust no one. Treated Raphael like a son. Yeah. He was a family member. Yeah. Yeah, then we went longly. We went. There's no no signs of this sort of behaviour. I think Anna and Raphael were both devious, callous, sickening people. They should never be allowed out into society again. They can never be corrected inside prison. They're just too evil.
outside Bristol Crown Court, Detective Chief Inspector Simon Crisp from the Avon and Somerset Police Force spoke of his satisfaction with the considerable sentences that each of the murderers received. He told reporters the trio would have plenty of time to think about what they had done. However, the officer acknowledged that in spite of justice being served, this would not bring Catherine back. Um, There's no pleasure in a case like this because the crime was so unnecessary, so callous, motivated by money, and the victim was just a beautiful, innocent, honest young woman. The kind of girl that any parent would be really pleased and proud to have as a daughter. It's just so sad. And at this time, our thoughts are with the family. So where are we now? In early 2014, not even two years since Catherine's death, the Wellsburg family was surprised to read on a Polish website that there were rumours that two of the people convicted of Catherine's murder had applied to carry out their sentences in Poland. After their family liaison officer contacted the Home Office, they confirmed the family's worst fears. Not only had the application been made, but if the murderers were permitted to serve their time in Poland, prison terms for both Lagvinovich and Dmitrishin could be reduced to 25 years, as it was argued they both physically did not commit Catherine's murder. Following public pressure, the Ministry of Justice made a statement saying it, quote, works closely with foreign governments to seek guarantees that offenders will face tough sentences because justice must be served either in the UK or abroad. There were arrangements in place with numerous countries that made it possible for some offenders to carry out prison sentences in their home country. Poland was such a place where these agreements were held. In response to the news, Catherine's family started an online petition to keep the trio in the UK prison system. Catherine's father spoke of how after Catherine obtained life insurance, his daughter had a price on her head. Philip Wells Burr said, She signed her own death warrant as soon as she signed the mortgage. In 2013, the Wellsburg family had set up a charity in Catherine's name with a goal to help other families affected by murder and manslaughter. They had a plan to raise £23,000 to honour each year of Catherine's life. By January 1st, 2019, they had reached their goal through hard work either by themselves or through supporters helping raise money via sponsorship or events. Well, Catherine was full of love and um, we want to pass love and, um, and support. help and support to other families that have maybe in the future or now going through the same 
situation as us. We receive so much support and love. And help. Yeah, from child people, pneumatic people, family, friends, Catherine's friends. We just feel that we want to give something back. The Catherine Wellsburg Foundation set up a Facebook page where they could be contacted if members of the public wanted to help raise funds for the foundation. But it was on this page in August 2015 where they announced the news the family were dreading. The post read, It is with great sadness and regret to have to say to all of you that the British government, Minister of Justice, has made his decision on Rafael Novak, who has been granted his wish to go back to Poland to serve his sentence. This country has relinquished all rights to make sure justice is served. Anna Lagvinovich will remain in the United Kingdom to serve her sentence, and to Dewish Dimitrishin has now applied to go back to Poland, and we are now waiting on a decision on him. We would like to thank everyone who signed our petition, and for all your messages of love and support for us. Thank you for listening, and a special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.